1999, the Department of Defense decided they were going to start a massive downsizing of our military. And the rationale behind the downsizing was that, first of all, we've had a relatively safe period of time for about eight to nine years. And it looked like the world was at peace and we didn't have any problems around the world. That was the rationale behind it. And then came September 11th, 2001, and the world was changed forever. Not only did we get ushered into a war in Iraq, but we had a request from all over the world to come and help countries. One of the places that uh, was a lot of strife other than Iraq was in the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt and that whole remote area in that area and throughout the world. And so we reached a dilemma in American history because here we are downsizing our military and we don't have enough troops. So what do we do when we don't have enough troops? Well, we start activating our reserve units. And I had at the time uh, been in the National Guard full time. And as we started activating, would you put that picture up? Uh, that's a picture of me back in, uh, and my son, Britt, on the left, or your uh, left, my right, and myself. Uh, and basically, Britt was a school teacher at the time and was deployed to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for a year. And my job, uh, I was in charge of training at the New Jersey uh, Training Center over at Fort Dix. And basically my job up until 2001 was to get troops that were coming into the National Guard, getting them trained, getting them into a unit in the state for state active duty. Everything changed for me also because now instead of getting troops ready for state active duty, I had to get them ready to go to war with a unit. And so that created a real dilemma for us. A year later, in 2005, I retired from the military uh, after a 40-year career, and I was asked if I would be part of a mental health team for the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs because they wanted to start meeting with veterans who were leaving, start meeting with families who were struggling, and then be prepared to meet with soldiers as they came back. Little did I know that the underway was most of the units in the state of New Jersey to include our 50th Brigade, Infantry Brigade. If you don't know what an Infantry Brigade is, it's about 3,000 soldiers, and they were going to be deployed. And so they asked me not only to be the clinical supervisor, but when they came back in 2008, after being gone for about 20 months, would we meet with every soldier, one-on-one, -on -one, every soldier, 3,000, and do it in 18 days. Okay. So kind of a challenge. So we were actually seeing between 150 and 300 soldiers a day. We had a whole team that worked with me. But basically what we were doing is we do an initial screening in mental health, and we had uh, the majority of people were doing okay but we had a lot that were struggling with what we call post-traumatic stress, not a disorder, but post-traumatic stress. We had some with what we call traumatic brain injury, or TBI, from explosions. We had several that were struggling with uh, anxiety and depression, and, and we had those that were, were very, very concerned about, and so we sent them right away on the spot to a military hospital for the next level of evaluation. What we were concerned about is the possibility of suicide. For the next two weeks, starting today, we're going to be looking 
at the subject of depression. Now, you're sitting here and saying, well, why would you want to talk about depression? Well, there's a couple reasons for doing it. One, this is a time of the year when we get together for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and other holidays, and we really enjoy the family time. But can I tell you also that this is a time of year that a lot of families don't look forward to because maybe they've had a, a death in their family or maybe they don't have enough money to get gifts for anyone or maybe they've had a broken relationship or, or maybe they're struggling with a lot of issues and so this is a, a sad reminder of Thanksgiving and Christmas of what we don't have and they're very, very lonely and, and very, very isolated. And the other thing that somebody uh, told me the other day, and I kind of knew it, but it refreshed me again, is that when we have daylight savings time change, and you know we go from when it's light till about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, gradually, we start getting dark at 4.30 in the afternoon, uh, there's a certain amount of depression in that. And so some people struggle. And that all happens in this transitional period. So depression really comes into two major forms. And the first one is what I call circumstantial depression. Circumstantial depression is that we are confronted with issues of life, and they overwhelm us to the point that our body starts to respond, first with anxiety, and then an overwhelming fear that of hopelessness. And we get the shakes, and we get headaches, and sometimes we even get physically sick, but what's happening to us is our body is basically shutting down. This is from circumstances, whatever happens in our life. The second thing is, is what we call clinical depression. Now, this is a little different, has some of the same similarities, but it's a little different in that there's a depletion of chemicals in the brain that cause us to go into this feeling of depression. A couple of them that may be familiar to is serotonin. You've heard of the yeah, transmitters, neurotransmitters of serotonin. And what happens with serotonin is when the levels of serotonin are depleted, they tell us to eat more bananas and blueberries. And that's going to make a big difference. But in reality, if the levels are way, way too low, we get to the point of depression and, and we sometimes can't get out of it. So we need medication. The other one that we take a look at is norepinephrine. And basically, it's the same thing. It's the transmitters of the brain that are being depleted and we need to build back those uh, neurotransmitters to a normal level of functioning. So medication becomes very, very critical in, in this portion. So I'd put up the slide on 139.14, if you will. God tells us in his scriptures, and Martin read this portion, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's probably been the last 20 years or so, and maybe even the last 10 years or so, is that we've been able to really take a look at brain function and understand how marvelous we are created. There are actually supposedly 10 trillion neurotransmitters on our brain that send signals back and forth and allow us to make decisions and to do various things. So when we're affected by things, those neurotransmitters are affected. But God has created us in a very, very wonderful way by being the God of all the universe, and he's created us uh, to really enjoy life, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. So 
What we do initially with an individual is we do an assessment. So we're going to take a look at an assessment and what does an assessment uh, accomplish or what is an assessment? Well, the first thing we want to do is we want to look at the emotions of an individual. We are emotional people. We cry, we laugh, uh, we're sad, we're fearful. We've got a lot of emotions inside of us. So why do we start with emotions? Because emotions is the window to our soul. It tells us what's going on deep down inside of our heart and triggers a lot of other things inside of us. So we start looking at our emotions. Now, I'm a very emotional person. So if you get to know me, you'll find out that I'm not this tough Marine, but I'm a very emotional person, and I can cry at supermarket openings. I just happen to have that kind of emotion inside of me. Okay? Uh, and so being emotional, uh, triggers of who I am. And the second thing we see is physical. We're physical beings. And so we get tired and we get weary and we get wore out and uh, we, we just, just can't function as well as we want to. So the emotions and the physical, those two, and I want you to follow with me because this is important. The emotions and the physical have a bearing on how we think. Cognitive is this, how we think. So if we are emotional as far as sadness or regret or fear or any negative emotion, and we tie that in with physical trauma, such as being tired or sick or overwhelmed, what happens is this here starts shutting down. Our brain starts shutting down. And what it happens to us is we start talking to ourselves and we start feeding our brain with negative emotions. So the emotions and the physical deterioration lead to faulty thinking. And then the faulty thinking leads to the next level, negative behavior. So in the process of an assessment, it's not only dealing with what a person is doing, the behavior, but we want to understand the emotions behind it, the physical, we want to understand how they're thinking, and then we want to understand the behavioral. Now, spiritual is not a normal part of a clinical assessment. I put that there because from a pastoral perspective or from a clinical pastoral perspective, we, we want to look at the spiritual. How is your relationship with God doing? Do you look to him when you are struggling with issues of life or do you tend to pull away and, and not really take God at his word that he's going to be walking with you and being there for you? So how do you basically do that? So what we'd like to do then is we're going to take an Old Testament character and we're going to do an assessment on them. And we're going to see how this individual fared with the difficulties of life. So would you turn with me to 1 Kings, the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 19. And if you don't have a Bible, if you're here visiting with us today uh, and you've never had a Bible, you don't have a Bible near you, there's Bibles on the seat all around and, and take it home. That's, that's a gift to you. Take that home. Chapter 19, and we're going to be looking uh, at a portion of Scripture today to help us understand a little bit more about this clinical assessment. So it's a way of background. The prophet, uh, the prophet Elijah has been uh, working with God, and he's defeated. Uh, in chapter 18, we see the story. He's defeated the prophets of Baal. And he's at this point 
feeling um, pretty good about himself. And I'm sure there's been times in your life where you've done something and you go, hmm, you puff your chest out, you put your thumb in the air, and you say, wow, I did that really good. And then all of a sudden, something happens within the brain. And, and what do you find? You start going, ooh, you crash. And so this is what happened to Elijah. So let's read the story, and we're going to read it in pieces. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. It's about 500 people that were killed. Then Jezebel, she's the queen, sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by the time tomorrow. So what was she saying? You're to die, right? right? So now let's do an assessment then on how Elijah is responding to this. So the first thing, again, we want to look at is the emotions, right? So let's look at the emotions. And let's see what the emotions are. And take a look at chapter 19, verse 3, and it says, And then he was what? Afraid. He was afraid. Now, is, is that normal? Of course. If, if somebody told you today that they were going to kill you, how would you respond to that? Eh, no big deal. It's okay, right? You'd be afraid. So obviously, uh, that's a normal mo emotion that we see. But let's take a look at physically. Let's see what's going on with him physically. So jump down to verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. So basically what was happening is he had been journeying. He'd been in battles, and he'd been 100 miles an hour, and he's going and going and going and going, and he's at the point of total exhaustion. And so what happens is not only is he exhausted, but he's probably not eaten very well. And so the combination of physical exhaustion and not having enough to eat, what has happened is he has a complete breakdown. Okay? Now, I can go back and I can think of this uh, when I was over in Vietnam. We'd be going 100 miles an hour every day. And we'd probably start out really 4, 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning uh, when the sun was coming up. And you go through the rice paddies, and the rice water is up to about your knees in this area here. And as you're walking through the rice paddies, what you want to make sure is that no snakes are sneaking up and biting you. And then every once in a while, you have to watch for the crocodiles. Those of you in Vietnam, you know that they had a lot of crocodiles in the swamp, so you have to do that. And, and then what happens is maybe you do that for 12, 14 hours, and then you come back and have the day off and go watch TV, right? No, you go on guard duty. And so if you got maybe two, three, four hours sleep in a day, that was, that was great. That was really, really good. And then what were you eating? I know we have several Vietnam veterans, other military people here. So, John, what are we eating? Are we eating real good food or are we eating sea rations? We're eating sea rations. And if you know what sea rations are, there are cans of stuff that are pretty horrible. Okay? And you had to eat them cold because you couldn't light a fire. Somebody would see the flames. So what happens is... Uh, thinking about Vietnam, you're exhausted, you lost your appetite, and you're not feeling very, very, very good. So let's take a look at cognitively now. Take a look at the second part of verse 3, and it talks about him sitting down on the broom tree, and he asked the Lord, he asked to die, he said, say, enough, now, O oh Lord, take away my life. So what has happened to him? Emotionally and physically, he's a mess, 
So what is he starting to think? What is he starting to think? What's going through his mind? Life is hopeless. I, 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 can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And so what I want to do is I just want to die. Now, this is the guy that killed 500 bad guys. And he was all puffed up a little while ago. And now he's crying out he wants to die. So he thought there was no reason to live. And I believe also he was controlled by self-pity. Now, the fourth thing that we see here as we, as we think about this is the behavior, the behavior. So take a look again okay, at chapter 3, uh, verse 3 in chapter 3. He was afraid, and he rose, and what did he do? What did he do? He ran for his life, right? We, we can understand that. But basically what he did is he gave up. So let me digress for a moment. Uh, going back to our training with the, the soldiers and them coming back from mental health and back in 2008, we were extremely successful in doing that. And so we started getting other states asking us, what were you doing in New Jersey uh, to help your soldiers? And, and one of the places that called us uh, actually called the higher headquarters and said, look, we, we'd like to get an idea of what's going on in your state. Can you send somebody out here to help us? Well, uh, they sent me out to Fort Hood, Texas. Now, Fort Hood, Texas is the largest military base in the country. Uh, you can go from the main side, where everything is, to a training range and drive 30, 40 miles. It's a huge base. And they were having a major problem. They were having a suicide a day. And what we were finding out is right here, behaviorally, uh, people basically gave up. They ran for their life. What was happening to them is they were exhausted. They hadn't been eating. They hadn't been sleeping. They looked at life as, what's the use? And then they basically gave up on life. And so we went out there and helped evaluation. I spent several months out there, uh, periodically going out there for a week at a time for several months to help them sort through what we were doing in New Jersey. And this is a key issue here, is thinking about what's going on here in the brain. How are you thinking about this situation? And then the last area that we see in this evaluation is we take a look at what was he thinking about spiritually. So let's read then together 9 and 10 of this chapter. There he came to a cave and logged him lodged him, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So God is speaking to Elijah, and he said to him, why are you doing here, Elijah? Now, the Lord knew what he was doing and why he was there. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I even only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So what's happening to him spiritually here? He was feeling lonely, and he was feeling isolated. But basically, he was feeling that God abandoned him. And there are times I know if I had an opportunity to meet each and every one of you today for a few minutes, one-on-one, -on -one, I know some of you are struggling with issues of life, and you're asking the question, why? Why does God allow this to happen to me? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And my answer is, I don't know. Okay? But you're looking for more than that. And so what was happening here spiritually, Elijah shut down. And even though he loved the Lord and, and he was guided by him, and the Lord walked with him through very, very difficult times, Elijah was at a point in his life 
where he basically rejected God and gave up. Okay? But the story does have a happy ending. Okay? So let's take a look at four messages that this portion of Scripture gives to us. The first one is found in verses 1 through 4. The first message is the enemy's message of danger. The enemy's message of danger. So, uh, again, I'm speaking to you today. You're struggling with an issue right now, and, and what you're hearing is give up. Give up. It's no use. Nobody cares about you. And so that's the message that we're seeing in these first four verses. Give up. It's no use. Nobody cares about you. You might as well die. And that's the message when we're struggling with issues of life that we tend to forget that God is walking with us each step of the way. And there's times when we're in such a, a bad place that God has just taken us and picks us up and throws us over his shoulders and wants to carry us. But what we do is sometimes we just don't trust him and we don't believe him. So what is the second message here? It's found in 5 through 8. And the angel's message of grace. This is the angel's message of grace. So let's just look at that for a second. And, and what does is, what is the angel say? He said, And he looked and behold, there was a head of cake baked on hot stones and jar of water. And there he's laid down asleep. He wanted food. And so what the angel was doing here, he was doing two things that he needed. Remember, he was deteriorated physically, and he was totally wore out. And so the angel says, well, here, we're going to start this. We're going to make sure you get rest, and we're going to make sure you have a good meal. And that's, we need to get that. So a lot of times when you hear a doctor saying to you, well, you know, you got this going on with you. You got a sore throat. You got a cold. What do you need? You stay in bed for a few days, you got to really eat real good. There's a tendency when we don't feel good to do what? Not eat. And that's not helping us. So sometimes we almost got to force food down. So the angel's message of grace allowed God to renew your strength. Allow God, not only, not only with the physical here, but we're going to be talking about spiritually renewal. And then what we have is we have the third thing that we're looking at. And the third message is found in verses 9 through 14. We didn't look at all of it for the sake of time, but the angel's message of power. If we were to read through that, you would see how God talks to Elijah, and he demonstrates his power to Elijah, and he says, basically, everything in creation is obedient to me. So I'm in charge here, and, and I know what to do and how to get you, restore you. So trust me. I'm the God of all creation. I knew you before you were formed in the womb. And so I'm asking you to come alongside of me and allow me to come alongside of you. And then the third, fourth message we see here is the Lord's message of hope. And the Lord's message of hope is God always accomplishes his purposes and does so by giving us work, work to do. So take just a look at 19 and 15, and we'll see this. And the Lord said to him, go... Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. So basically what happens at this period of time is that the Lord tells us, you've got a work to do. We've got a work for you to do. And so if you're sitting here today and you're struggling with an issue of life and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you trust him with your life, He's got a job for you to do. He's got a work for you to do. Maybe you're not sure what that is. 
But he's got something he wants you to do. And what he doesn't want you to do is have self-pity and give up and, and be very regretful. What he wants to do is he wants to guide your path in a very, very special way. So there's a few lessons that I would like to um, share with you. Okay. And the first one is, can you identify with Elijah? Some of you in this room, I know I see people saying, yeah, I, I can identify this. Uh, several years back, I was working with somebody and I just paraphrased the notes that I made from this, obviously no names. It was Sunday, and I didn't want to get up. My body felt heavy, my breath was labored, and my mind was cloudy. I could hardly speak. The consuming sadness sat like a dense fog in my soul. I wanted to pull the covers over my head, disappear from the world, and sleep for ages to escape my reality. Can you identify with that? I know I can. There are days that I, I finish up a day here at Grace Point and the load has been heavy and it gets too heavy. And I tell the Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. And then I have to realize that's a message that Satan is sending. Okay, give up. Give up. And I have to stop right down there and say, Lord, take away the evil that I'm feeling and, 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 and coming at me. Because I don't want to give up. But it's that, that thought that comes into your mind. Give up, give up. You don't have to do this anymore. You can go down to Florida and, and, and watch baseball games all year round because it's warm down there. And that, that's very appealing. But that's not what he wants me to do. Okay? So give up, give up. So let's take a look just briefly at a couple life lessons that I want to leave with you this morning. The first one is that there are resources to help you. If you are struggling with depression, the first thing you need to do is get a clinical, what you call a clinical assessment. And simply stated, you've got to have a medical doctor make sure that you don't have a medical condition that's creating issues for you, or be able to start treatment with various medications that will help the neurotransmitters regain their strength again. Now, you should be doing counseling at the same time because the combination of the medication and the encouragement will help you. And so really the second life lesson is if you confront depression, confront it. Don't let it beat you. Don't let it ever beat you. Say, I'm going to be, in your power and your strength, Lord, I am going to beat the depression. And then the third thing is we are children of an omnipotent father. He already knows what you need before you ask of him. And he's waiting for you to call on him and to allow him to work in your life. And then the fourth, fourth thing really is something that to me is the most important part of the message today, if nothing else. We've, we've sung a lot of songs today about Jesus and worship and praise. And, they, and the team does a tremendous job in getting that message across. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, today God is speaking to you very, at this very, very moment. And he's saying to you, I can be there for you. I, I will save you if you call on my name. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus his only son to die so that you and I could have eternal life. And all he asks of us is to confess our sins, say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And then he will come into your life and he will guide and direct you. So when you feel hopeless, 
when you, when you feel despair, when you feel down, you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I am really struggling. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, but he came to this earth to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. Allow Jesus to be the driving force in your life. Here at Grace Point, we have a tremendous care ministry. And so if you are struggling with an issue, let us know about it, and we will do everything we can to help you in any way that we can. We've got a whole team, and right after the service, our prayer team will be up here. But please, don't go another day if you're struggling with an issue. Let us know about it, and we want to be there for you. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We ask you, Lord, that you will bless our time today and each day and give us a good day, Lord. And we thank you that you are a God who cares about these issues, such as depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress. These are all things that you have a handle on. You know about it. And so, Lord, my specific prayer is I look over this audience today of maybe 250, 300 people. I know there are people here today that are struggling. And, Lord, I'm saying, asking right now that you touch their lives and they perhaps today will accept you as their personal savior. Lord, just thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen.